GM everyone, um, welcome to Historic NFT Museum uh, with uh, Crypto Skulls DAO. Um, uh, I am XOAO, um, one of the community managers. Are you getting some feedback? Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Okay. Um, yeah. So just, yeah, I just want to say welcome, uh, Adam and Jake, um, to the Historical Energy Museum. Uh, we're very excited to have Adam and Jake today uh, from the historical community uh, and to learn from them. Uh, so super excited. Uh, but before we, you know, go and uh, do an intro um, and just say how, how they're doing, uh, I want to give a, you know, a quick context and the agenda for today. Um, yeah, the first 10 minutes, we were just kind of waiting for people and, um, uh, yeah, we're, we're waiting to get everyone into the space and then onboarding to them to the museum. Uh, so I've pinned uh, some of the tweets on how to do that. Uh, make sure that you are um, in the museum uh, about in, in about five minutes or so, and then we'll get started uh, 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 with Adam and Jake. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't... Um, been to the museum uh, it's hnftmuseum.com uh, so just kind of the logistics here and then uh, the, the pin tweet at the top is uh, the link to the museum um, and then uh, so this is simulacra.io slash hnft so join us there to to have an immersive uh, historical nft experience uh, learning from adam mcbride and jake gallon um, who will be speaking about historical nfts uh, and yeah enjoy and uh, the, the password for that is Skullish. Uh, so join us now and you'll have five minutes to, to, uh, to get started. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kick off. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, uh, just two minute intro. If you're new here, uh, I want to give you a bit of context. Um, HNFT Museum was founded by the Crypto Skulls DAO, um, a, a 2019 historical NFT project. Um, and I'm one of the community managers who... Uh, who's representing them. Um, so yeah, really excited to, to really educate people about historical NFTs and invite, you know, amazing guests like Adam and Jake, uh, who've you know, spent uh, years like researching and learning about the space and uh, really un exploring the past, the present and the future of NFTs. Um, you know, you, you might have seen the, 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 the recent um, hype from Ordinals and, you know, innovation like that, you know, I think it's really exciting to, um, yeah, to, to kind of, do some research and deep dive into historical NFT space, uh, be able to learn from uh, NFT historians. Uh, but the mission of, uh, you know, Crypto's Goes DAO and, and HNFT Museum is really to educate uh, and, and onboard the masses into the space, uh, you know, showcase historical art as assets and artifacts within the community uh, and really, uh, you know, deepen the connections between uh, different DAOs uh, and other historical NFT communities. Yeah, and then finally, it's, it's a really sp a space, uh, inclusive space for everyone to connect and network with other uh, NFT collectors. And yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll be learning a lot from um, for every session. So we run this every Monday, uh, you know, and, and uh, yeah, we have some really exciting guests uh, coming up as well. So without further ado, uh, you know, I just want to welcome Adam and Jake. And uh, how are you doing today? How's it going, yeah. guys? Yo, what's good? What's good, man? Uh, we Adam and I actually also live streaming this through our stream yard. 
And uh, I just got up about 15 minutes ago, so my hair is in shambles right now. Well, what a what a long ass weekend it's been. Holy well, crap. we had uh, I don't know, Jake. I I actually stopped it because we were having sorts of the, we were getting that echo effect. I don't know if we had uh, I messed up and we maybe had too many phones plugged in, possibly, and we were getting a, a feedback. But um, I am in the museum right now. Are you guys in the actual um, in the museum right now? I see XOAOs in there. Jake, are you in here? I, I have not hopped in yet. I'm still putting myself together after this okay. weekend. <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll cover into that. Um, I was there for the museum's opening, and this is probably one of my favorite metaverse installments that i've seen of a museum probably the most put together one that i've seen uh, especially from just like a cust- pure custom built one it was not anything like i was expecting you guys really crushed it so far yeah thanks um thanks jake appreciate the kind words so you know we want to say a big thank you to uh, simulacra uh, team and especially brian and, and his team uh for you know giving us this space to be able to work with us with the Crypto Skills DAO and the historical NFT uh, community uh, to to have a space for it for everyone. So yeah, really yeah, thanks thanks a lot, Brian, for for giving us that space. Um, but yeah, like I uh, appreciate your time because you know it's been a, a I think a crazy two weeks, I guess, right? Like uh, for both of you, you've been uh, running spaces nonstop, and I've uh, been hearing a lot about ordinals and you know all, all that all that cool stuff. Uh, tell me tell me more, like what what's been uh, the last two weeks like for you yeah so i mean it, it's you know it's 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 not a historical nfts right but it's um it's innovation and and innovation on bitcoin obviously is very exciting because you just have this whole collection of bitcoiners who really don't want anything to do with ethereum and i think ordinals have kind of just like turned on this possibility of nfts on bitcoin even though we've had counterparty, you know, NFTs and, and rare Pepe's and spells of Genesis for years, still this one, for some reason, just felt maybe for them more Bitcoin native, I think. And obviously with it being on chain, um, just it touched some buttons for the Bitcoin community. And there's been a lot of talk amongst Bitcoin maxis. I, I can't mention the number of spaces I've been on where just chatting with Bitcoin maxis about their view on what ordinals are, what the impact is, what stuff needs to be built. Um, in a lot of ways, I know it's similar to the conversations that were happening, happening around counterparty uh, when it got launched, you know, how, how can you use Bitcoin for things other than simply Bitcoin? And uh, I think that we, we hit ordinals hit a nerve in, in that it touched that Bitcoin maxi kind of at their heart level, like, oh my God, what is this? And it just ignited fire on Twitter. I mean, it's just, you know, Casey Rotomore, who we had on our Twitter space back in like September to talk about ordinals. Um, so we in the historic NFT space have been very early on ordinals. I want to say that uh, we were very early, but, um, you know, his his discord, I think has like 15,000 members or something. Uh, it's It's huge. In like two weeks, it's grown to that. Um, so it's definitely touched a nerve and, you know, it's implications long-term. I don't think any of us, you know, realize where it's going to be or know what it's going to be in the future, but certainly it's brought this kind of renewed passion and interest in NFTs in general. And I think given us in the historic NFT community, some space to like begin 
kind of this education process. I'm sure we'll have to go through these cycles, you know, once a year or something, but kind of re-educating people. Oh, there are these old NFTs. Oh, there are these Bitcoin NFTs. You know, this is kind of the history and kind of go through it and, and basically, you know, educate people on the history of NFTs. And that's been um, pretty awesome this week. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've had a lot of fun when we talked with Casey in September. He didn't even bring up inscriptions once. The whole NFT component uh, was just about serial numbers and tracking the early sats. That's what I was most interested in. So I got kind of caught off by surprise when uh, when the whole inscriptions thing came up. And uh, of course, the historical community was the first to go. I think I think it was actually like uh, Joe Looney and Skrilla and a bunch of the Pepe's people and Theo. They're all doing the, the rare ordinals. I think was actually like probably the first collection to really pop up in there. Those are all like or one of the first, like a lot of the sub one thousand sets. It's it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's bringing more interest to Bitcoin NFTs. We've had a few uh, different types. Of course, Counterparty has been minting them on chain too. Maybe not as on chain as. Probably not as on-chain as ordinals are, but I mean, it's more of a philosophical debate and preference, right? We do this in the historical community between was Mooncats the first on-chain, right? But it was it's not fully on-chain, but it was the most on-chain at the time. And these are, I think, the kind of debates that uh, our community, the historical community, just loves to to circle around and kind of wrap ourselves into, whether it's for good or, or for bad, uh, who knows? But it seems like these kind of debates are actually starting to pop up in the Bitcoin community. So we, we front ran their philosophical arguments and debates uh, by about two years. Yeah. And, and another, I'll just layer on top of it. was just in a space with Joe again. And, and uh, just to give you guys some ideas about this, this tracking mechanism, which is developed by Casey, um, you know, it, it's an agreed upon tracking mechanism. Um, so it's an agreed upon provenance layer, but it's, it's basically made up. Um, the idea, it's not like a, each Satoshi has a number when it's minted and then that, that number is immediately trackable. Casey basically created a system for tracking them. Um, but it's, it's, you know, as Joe said, it's just made up. Like it doesn't have to be the first Satoshis gets the number one. It could be the fifth one gets the number one. And, you know, there's this like layer and, and that, that Satoshi that has the inscription, well, it's his system that connects those together, right? Um, so it's, you know, he, he's now, if you check out Joe's, um, Joe's Twitter, uh, I think his handle is uh, Bitcoin Astrologist or something like that. Because it's like this uh, agreed upon realities, which in the historic NFT space, like we've been battling over for the last, you know, two and a half years or whatever, um, which has been great. And we've hashed out a lot. But uh, it's kind of like Bitcoin is is the Bitcoin maxis are bumping up against this for the first time in five years or something like that. And it's really funny to see. Yeah, we uh, I mean, when I first got into the historical space, I was more of like a mooncat maximalist myself. And then as you start uncovering new technologies, you kind of like begin to uh, open up kind of your philosophical perspective of, of what can be what what can be classified and. Uh, Joe Looney, actually, I was very surprised to see him like be just fully on board with ordinals. I mean, it makes sense, uh, but he, he'd been and most of the Pepe community had been so against so many other things that right this this just looks like it's uniting it. Of course, there's a lot of speculation happening, and there's a lot of salt in the air from those who aren't participating or those who feel like they've been wrong somehow, whatever that actually means. 
but uh, I don't think this is going anywhere. I mean, I last night I saw Dan Held tweet in support of of Ordinals, who is like the most OG or one of the most OG Bitcoin maximalists that's out there. So you're starting to see some people uh, really coming to support that. And uh, of course, Bitcoin is the most valuable asset. They're the the OG Bitcoiners who hold a lot of Bitcoin and start denominating these assets in Bitcoin, you're going to see some some pretty cr- incredible prices for some of these things that pop up here uh, over the next few years. Amazing. Yeah, thanks, Jake and Adam. Um, yeah, just super exciting times, right? And, um, you know, I've been certainly listening to both of you and uh, Leonidas and uh, Trevor uh, running some <laughs> pretty nonstop spaces and learning a lot and i'm sure everyone has heard of ordinals uh but if you guys could give a quick tldr on what ordinals are um just just for the spaces and, and for the audience that would be great um and then just a reminder for everyone to join in the museum and we'll we'll you know kick off with um with historical nfts but yeah just can you give us a bit of context as to what ordinals are Sure. I mean, I'll give the the quick one. Adam knows uh, knows this a little bit more uh, in depth than myself, but ordinals. If I can easily explain it, it's just the Bitcoin's ERC seven twenty one standard. So this is a new standard that exists on on Bitcoin. Of course, they don't have smart contract functionality, so standard might not be the right word, but essentially just a new protocol where they're taking each sat, which is the smallest uh, denomination of a Bitcoin, a hundred million sats in one Bitcoin. They take each sat. And you have the, the ability to inscribe, which is the equivalent of mint, uh, data into it up to four megabytes. And this can and this is done because of the most two recent Bitcoin up, updates, which was SegWit, which happened in 2017, which caused which was kind of the the heating moment of why Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash exist. And then Taproot that happened, I believe, about a year and a half ago. And so Casey found a way to uh, kind of circumvent all the all this stuff and and mint these images in there, and uh, that's why people are now beginning to to experiment, right? If you have 100 million sats times the potential of 21 million bitcoins, that's, that's a lot of room to uh, start minting uh, some NFTs and really having some fun experiments. And I don't know if Adam, if you want to cover a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I mean for the the less technical, I, I I think of it as like you can kind of, you know, how you might think of a dollar bill and you can do some art on top of that dollar bill. Um, the Satoshi itself being like a penny of that dollar, right? If Bitcoin's the dollar, the Satoshis are, are pennies. And then you can inscribe or do art on top of those. And you can do it unlimited times. I think that's something that hasn't really been explored yet. So, you know, you can do one piece of art on top of the Satoshi. And then another and another. And you can just inscribe these things basically unlimited times. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. You know, if if people develop kind of viewers, um, what comes to mind for me is like pixel map. What Ken did with the tiles, you know, you can view the, the main map shows the current tiles. But if you click on any individual tile, you can kind of see the history of all the images, images that were stored on that tile which I think allows for another kind of layer of, of interest that artists may get a hold of and try some new stuff with. Um, so really cool. And we've also, I mean, definitely seen in the last two weeks, 
from the collector's perspective, um, you know, people start to collect, uh, you know, the first ones that were inscribed. Uh, obviously, if you look at Leo, Leo had a bought, I think, number 69, uh, paid like four Bitcoin or some crazy amount for it. You know, so the collectors are going to, you know, look for value propositions in that way. So if if you guys are thinking from a collector's mindset, you know, if ordinals works out in 10 years, what are kind of going to be the the most valuable of them? And obviously in our community, we think, you know, first in low numbers and special numbers and stuff like that. Um, but it's all speculation right now. Right. Uh, you know, it's all speculation. So, you know, just be careful out there. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It's very speculative at the moment, but, uh, you know, appreciate uh, your education. And, you know, for those who haven't checked out Adam and Jake's, um, you know, videos, they have a live stream, they, they, they run a you know, weekly spaces, a weekly show on, on YouTube. Uh, they do multiple spaces a week. Um, they also have a podcast as well. Um, yeah. And actually they're like, what, what don't you do? They're on the Emblem Vault team. Uh, oh, actually, you know, just just t- want to touch upon that. Like, I think, you know, what you guys are doing at, at Emblem Vault is uh, is amazing, right? And especially uh, at, at this early stage for uh, ordinals, I think it's like uh, it's I think it's much appreciated for the whole community just to like make sure everyone is like you know staying safe and not getting scammed. And uh, yeah, education and awareness is super important. So, you know, thanks for that. And um, yeah, can you tell us a bit more about, uh, you know, Emblem Vault and what you guys do? I, I pinned some of the tweets that you guys uh, uh, share at the top just, just for education um, and awareness purposes, just to make sure that they can, um, yeah, trade ord- ordinals and learn about them safely. Uh, could you just give us a you know, two-minute uh, TLDR on what Emblem Vault is? Um, and then we'll, yeah, I think, I think, um, uh, some people are waiting in the museum and we'll kind of, um, yeah, transition into, uh, chatting there as well. Just, just leaving the spaces on, but yeah, in, in terms of Emblem Vault, uh, what do you guys do and, and tell us more about, you know, the mission of, of, uh, you know, of, of Emblem Vault. Sure. So, so Emblem Vault, it's been around for, for uh, quite a long time. Uh, Shannon's the founder who's there uh, in the crowd, so make sure you guys give him a follow. He uh, realized after working in the crypto space for, for a little while, um, started thinking of this idea of like a, a tradable wallet um, where you could, but at the time in 2016, 2017, Ethereum was still early. So this was originally deployed on or existed on Counterparty for a little while. And then it was originally conceived of as like a DeFi product where you can put multiple cryptocurrencies, not even NFTs at the time, just multiple cryptocurrencies like a Bitcoin and Ethereum and a Litecoin, for example, inside of a wallet. And then you can go use it for like staking properties and DeFi yield experiments and all this different stuff. What ultimately ended up happening in 2021 is the Rare Pepe community saw this and saw that it was integrated with Bitcoin. And so they started individually vaulting rare pepes and this was right when this was right around the same time when uh when the Mooncat rescue rediscovery happened so it was actually like really good timing and so it was a perfect uh coinciding moment with this with the birth of nft archaeology and then over that summer was when rare pepes had that that breakout moment i believe there was t- like thousands or tens of thousands of eth in volume 
And so then the historical NFT community saw this and said, hey, we can maybe we should use this for Namecoin stuff or for Doge Party stuff or for other assets that are on Counterparty. So that's and that's where you kind of see Emblem Vault's breakout moment and the, the main use case for historical NFTs. And so Adam and I, after some, to- some point last summer, we started thinking about this idea of like a historical NFT marketplace. We, I was kind of inspired by what e- the ENS community was doing, where they were able to just basically rip that whole entire market away from, from OpenSea because their community was so strong. And so I started reaching out to um, some people in the space and say, hey, we should get this done. Apparently, Adam also had the same uh, mindset as well. So we began uh, looking around and started talking to, to teams and we talked with, with Shannon and the team. And we had a very similar vision of where that was going to go and how it would help the historical NFT community. So that's ultimately like one of the goals is to have uh, is to have an emblem marketplace and a, a focus on historical NFTs. But of course, it's not just the focus, as you could realize um, right today with, with like ordinals. And I actually got some messages that some people in the historical space are actually kind of upset for some reason that uh, that we're turning our focus away from historicals, which is not the case at all. It's just that, uh, you know, you have to wear a business and wear a product and you have to be able to generate revenue to do the things that we want to do. So um, now at this point in time, we basically allow trading or facilitate trading of NFTs across marketplaces. The, the, this tradable wallet, or you call it a sealed wallet, uh, is a better term because once the, once the token is burned, that's how you reveal the keys, and then you, that wallet does not, or is not tradable anymore. So it becomes a, essentially an SBT of sorts with the private keys to all of the different blockchains that are integrated within the wallet, which is about, I believe, 15 different blockchains or so. And it's EVM compatible, which makes it cool. So Emblem Vault is also deployed on Polygon and on BNB. So you can go take your rare Pepe's and go sell them on BNB for BNB um, and take Pepe's cross-chain. And that's one of our goals is to take historical NFTs across all different chains. And it can really just be a cool experiment. And that's how we grow the overall pie uh, instead of becoming very value extractive, which you see a lot of the some of the other projects do. And you see a lot of people on crypto Twitter talking about this consistently of, is this project good for the space? Is this growing the overall ecosystem? And that's what we want to do. And the best way to do that is to take all of our precious historical assets and move them to all the other blockchains, not just Ethereum. Of course, Ethereum is the most liquid NFT market uh, in the space. So right now that's going to be the use case. I suspect though in the future, uh, as the ecosystem grows out, more people come to crypto. Uh, you'll see places like BNB or Solana or whatever also have more liquid markets where we can go take our historical NFTs and go bring them over there. Amazing. Yeah, thanks Thanks for the context, Jake. Um, yeah, super interesting. And, and congratulations on what you're doing. I think like you know, education is, is super needed, but also like, the, you know, the fact that you are, you know, working super hard to, to innovate and uh, create infrastructure and, and, you know, tools for everyone to, to kind of use um, and, and, you know, learn about historical NFTs and also, also the, the, the ordinals um, uh, tr- trading that you guys are offering as well. That, that's pretty cool. 
Um, yeah, Adam, do you have anything to add to that? Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of, um, you know, talk, talk more about historical NFTs in general. Sure. I mean, it's, um, it's kind of funny cause we have gotten, you know, some DMS and a little pushback, like, you know, like we're abandoning historical NFTs, which is obviously silly. Um, but you know, I think part of the, and I, I've said, literally, I've just DM the people back. I'm like, you know, if your bags are packed for historical NFTs as mine are, um, don't you want a vibrant web three future, right? Don't you want NFTs traded everywhere? Don't you want everybody on earth having NFTs? Like that's the whole value proposition, right? If, if we don't build this web three future where in a, NFTs are integrated um, all over the world with everything, your historic NFTs aren't going to be worth anything, right? So that, that, that was kind of my standard response to people. It's like, yeah, I understand how you're not psyched about ordinals, maybe, um, which is fine. They're they're two weeks old, you know. You don't have to be psyched about them, um, but at least be psyched about the tech, right? At least be psyched about a new group of people coming in NFTs, right? Let's be psyched about the pie growing, right? Because um, even if you have your own self interest at at heart, which we all do, um, and your self interest is based around historic NFTs, like let's promote like the growth of this entire industry. Right. And uh, so, yeah, it's been great to be, you know, part of the emblem team um, and able to facilitate that. Like, you know, just especially with ordinals, this is like a use case that just hits you right in the face. It's like, these were untradeable on Bitcoin. Uh, All trades had to happen OTC and we all know how dangerous OTC is. And, you know, for people to be able to put them in vaults, and then sell them trustlessly on OpenSea. Uh, this is all, it's awesome, right? And that's why I'm obviously super bullish on, on Emblem uh, and super psyched about, you know, the tech we provide because, you know, holders of these NFTs being able to trade them wherever the liquidity is, uh, I think is, is, is pretty awesome. Did I rug? Did I get rugged? Oh, nah, I still hear you. I, I still hear you. I still hear you. Emotional speech. No, I still, I still hear you. But it is. I mean, it is. Look, it, this is all about. This is about the future, man. I mean, uh, look, the people in this space. I'm scrolling down. Like everybody in this space believes in historical NFTs. Every one of us. Um, but without a future where NFTs are valuable and interesting and used. And probably, you know, free or near free. Every NFT is, you know, just everywhere doing everything, right? That's the best case scenario for us, right? As, as historical NFT collectors is, is that these things are everywhere. And, uh, and then our historical NFTs become hyper valuable. That's, uh, that's the whole thesis as far as I can see. But did we lose uh did we lose the museum? Did they get ghost did they get uh rugged? No, so yeah. Oh you're yeah, back, yeah. brother. Thank, yeah, thanks man. for holding <laughs> holding it down. Um yeah, just kind of like just just for context, I've been uh trying to get the logistics of you know you know how it is, like of, of the museum and then spaces and stuff. Oh, tell me about <laughs> it, bro. Yeah, nothing nothing but Tech problems, I know. man. I Tech know. Problems. Yeah, but yeah, this space is recorded, and you know, museums is recorded. So yeah, we we would love to kind of um, you know dive into uh, the 
I guess historical NFT space, and we'll ask a few questions, and and then uh, we'll we'll get you guys to do a museum tour, I guess, around you know just so just you guys still have time to jump into the museum if you want to, but we'll dive into the questions now, uh, and then I'll let you guys like run the show, um, like <laughs> like you always do. Um, but yeah, like I think this historical NFT space for those who can see the the slides. So Jake and Adams on stage, um, but I will. I should be able to uh, kind of uh, flick through this, the slides. So, uh, you know, uh, do do follow uh, Jake and, and Adam um, on, on their podcast. I, I'd encourage you guys to, yeah, just kind of like look at their videos and, and, and check out Emblem Vault as well. So, yeah, super cool uh, what you guys are doing. And I think the historical NFT spaces, yeah, I really appreciate the work that you do. Um, but, yeah, could you uh, – so I'll start off with Jake. Um, on this slide, you have – uh, the timeline that you made uh, could you uh, maybe explain some of the projects and you know why did you create this timeline and what's significant about it yeah absolutely uh, so the one that you have up there on the screen is the v1 I actually had to do a v2 I've learned um, now hanging out in the space in the historical space for for two years now Never, never think if you're putting out a timeline that that's going to be the final version. You are going to just get completely bombarded by responses of people of angry uh, responses from people who who are left out seemingly. Uh, so yeah, this is the V two. Um, over during the winter, the winter break, I guess you say, or the winter, you know, just crypto winter. Uh, I wanted to put out more content, more thought pieces. I'm actually putting one out today too. Might actually post while we're having this conversation. Um, and I noticed that there was a massive increase in just overall historical NFT timelines and, and thought graphics. And again, it's kind of a similar thought to my approach to creating a historical NFT marketplace. I was just noticing that, you know, the individuals in the space have their communities and it's time for them to the, go be the community leaders uh, of their respective historical NFT communities. So they can go and put the timelines out for, Mooncats or for crypto schools, right? Or for spells of Genesis, right? That's their time to shine. I wanted to do something a little bit more broad for the historical space, but also something kind of relevant to what I was doing with Emblem. And I figured, hey, if I'm if we're gonna do a historical NFT marketplace, then I need to know the history of all these marketplaces. And as I began digging into this, I began realizing that this definition of a marketplace is almost very similar to like how the historical NFT community uh, identifies NFTs in general. There's like no one size fits all marketplace. And as you kind of look into the beginning or the history of NFT marketplaces, again, just that's kind of just like a placer word. You begin noticing kind of the evolution of brilliant minds in 2014, kind of thinking about they called it authenticating digital assets, um, which is basically this idea of putting images or data on chain. And so you had a handful of different protocols from Monograph, which was created by uh, Kevin McCoy and Anil Dash, to, to Counterparty, to Doge Party, um, and there's a few of them. And so I labeled them as protocols, um, which you can't see on the, the V1, but you can see on the V2 if you go into the article. And then in 2015, or you see a scribe. A scribe is like the big holy grail one. Uh, it allowed users the ability to not only authenticate assets, but then transfer them. And it kind of acted as a, a layer two, right? Because it was on top of Bitcoin that allowed individuals to then go build marketplaces using their infrastructure. So that's why I called it a 
a protocol, but you could transfer, you, you, but there was some, some nuance to it. And so then the first marketplace, at least that I've found that popped up is called Coin Temporary. Um, and there's a YouTube video in the link that I found from like March of 2015 where they're actually facilitating the first transaction on the marketplace. I have to say from listing and selling an NFT on that marketplace took them like almost 10 minutes to do because of how many steps uh, were, were a part of it because of how primitive the technology really was. But essentially what Cointemporary was, was every 10 days, a new NFT, a Bitcoin NFT would be listed and it would be listed as an open edition of about 300 to 500 different uh, 300, 500 quantity, and then you can go use Bitcoin on there to go purchase the asset, and it would live on a scribe. Unfortunately, after around 2018, they closed the scribe up because the founders, uh, Trent and a few others, realized that Ethereum pretty much satisfied everything that they were looking to do. And so they said, hey, there's no need for us to continue doing this. The crypto community has kind of taken over, which is something they're very appreciative of. But all those assets were lost because it was stored on a centralized server before IPFS was around. Um, so probably some of the earliest artworks, even including some of XCopy stuff, was, was lost forever. Um, and it's unfortunate, unless they could get in contact with the, the centralized company to retrieve it. But as you go look on and just moving into it, you start seeing a lot of these native NFT projects have to build their own marketplaces because there was nothing like an open sea. And... So you see things like Spells of Genesis or EtherID or Pixel Map or even Rare Pepe's, Curio Cards. They all go through these like different phases of trying to create a way to distribute these NFTs. Like one of the most unique ones I think is actually Curio Cards, where it's like they use this idea of like a vending machine where each art each artist has their own smart contract, which is which is essentially a vending machine that they have all the tokens minted and then it distributes through there so they're all actually minted at the time they just weren't sold when it was rediscovered uh, so it's actually all the all curio cards all a bunch of different contracts that i'm actually just all on one contract which makes it kind of unique then you had larva labs come and they kind of just like that this with crypto punks the more i do research and I, it just becomes more iconic because there's so many different things that they did for the first time that um isn't often appreciated like their marketplace, their zero feet marketplace. That was a part of the contract. At least to my knowledge, there's nothing like this that really existed uh, at the time where you can go and just see it. And from, from like the UI and UX perspective, of course, that's also uh, connected to the contract as well, which why they had to do V2, but then moving on, right. You see all these different, these, all these different projects creating market native marketplaces from Mooncats, Dada, uh, etc. And then OpenSea is the one who really like comes into it and says like, oh shit, this is really happening. I should, we should kind of package all of these as like a basically an NFT Walmart and start selling these. And so that's what they did. And they were so far ahead that there was nobody that's really been able to to keep up with them. Although there were some that popped up around the same time. I think OpenSea is just network effect, which is generally what happens in crypto is whoever's first to the market generally captures most of that network effect and is never able um, to be caught up to, right? Like Bitcoin's the first crypto, Ethereum was the first smart contract, Monero was the first private, so on and so forth. This, this is just like kind of the trend. Uh, Super Rare was the first art NFT marketplace to pop up. Again, they're still iconic. But around that time in 2018, 
I think is kind of where you see this like art breakout happen with like with uh, Known Origin and Nifty Gateway and Super Rare and some of these other ones. And then towards the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, and in 2020, you start seeing the NFT marketplaces become financialized. You start seeing Rarible introduce tokens into the project, which they're the first. And then you see like NFTX, which does their uh, liquidity pool. And then you move into 2021, and this is where you start seeing uh, unique marketplaces for specific assets like Royal, which is for music NFTs. You start seeing uh, specific use cases like PseudoSwap, which is zero, zero fees. And some of the marketplaces are popping up for different blockchains like Binance NFT, Object for, for Tezos. You have Magic Eden. Some of those aren't the first, but I put them there because they are the most popular. And then 2022 is where you just start seeing just the, the competition uh, for OpenSea start popping up between Uniswap, Coinbase, X2Y2, Looks Rare, uh, Blur, and and so on. And that's kind of like where we are today. And you think about like what's next for NFT marketplaces. Well, OpenSea is it's a battle of probably consolidation. You start seeing some more companies acquiring some of the smaller ones to try to take more market share. But Blur is actively competing with OpenSea, um, right? It's kind of this like traders versus retail market where OpenSea is for retail, right? It's, it's very fluid. It's, it's the UI UX is pretty good. And Blur is just all about trading. All, all of those people just care about is numbers. And uh, yeah, I, hopefully, um, hopefully Emblem Vault will be there at some point um, this year that we can then put our place in as a NFT marketplace that kind of really comes in and changes things because we can facilitate NFTs across way more blockchains than any of any of these other NFT marketplaces can offer. So that's doing that research really helped me look into where, where we need to go as a team for emblem and also just the trends, man. I think it just really puts you so far ahead to really understand the history of marketplaces or assets um, which helps me in some decision making for some other things that I want to work on uh, in the future as well. Amazing, Adam. Uh, uh, sorry, amazing, Jake. Uh, Adam, do you want to add anything to that? No, man. Jake's Jake's the expert there. Uh, it's pretty amazing history, honestly. Um, and to think about even like when Super Rare came out shortly after OpenSea, you're like, well, why didn't? super rare kind of win that they were the art focused right and art nfts were the kind of explosion but the reality is is like kind of pfps 121 right pfps dominated 2021 and it's kind of why OpenSea is the dominant um dominant marketplace it's just it's really interesting you never really know which what's going to work when you start thinking about businesses you just got to kind of try and push and and hopefully you you hit something that hits and, uh, you know, there are a lot of great stories that we've heard talking to founders back in, you know, 2018, where the dudes from OpenSea are like, please, you know, please come list your, you know, we'll customize OpenSea to, to, so you can sell your NFTs on a marketplace, right? And it's like, you know, it's just funny to think about uh, back then uh, how this was all built. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, just working at Emblem for the three, four months that we've been there as well. One, one thing that you can't really think of or that it's, it's hard to conceptualize when you're looking at something like this is that these marketplaces are businesses at the end of the day. There is a bottom line. And so a lot of the decision-making, um, you can't really 
put into a graphic because there has to be revenue, right? You have to pay the employees, you have to follow uh, whatever the, the legal structure is in whatever country that you're living in. And it's tough for that to be reflected in just like a simple timeline. But you can see, though, um, if you go into the, the Medium post that, that I put there that's attached to it, um, all of the failed ones and, and the funding that some of these got and some of the people who were, who were trying to, to find their stone. But, yeah, I think what Adam said about OpenSea, the reason that they are where they are is because the PFP craze and probably some of the behind-the-scenes partnerships that they made with, with whether it was Bored Apes or whoever it is, which just we'll probably never really know um, until years later. Yeah, yeah, that, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I guess like you know, I I, I think it's like a, a really interesting timeline, and you know, I think all the historians have have created some pretty cool, um, you know, a, a really you know interesting thesis, and like I think timelines are really a good way to understand and and learn, um, you know, and and see kind of like what where the projects uh, are in this whole sort of bigger picture and um you know people like white rabbit leonidas um yourself uh, adam you know you're you're really kind of like starting uh to look look back at like the, the history and provenance of nfts and you know and figure out like okay this is this is where like you know ordinals are and then you, you go back all the way you know to, to the early nfts um and yeah I've, i find it super fascinating like the counterparty and you know the the all, all the different like projects that kind of are kind of in different chains as well so i think that's super interesting um i guess like you know just stepping back a bit like um and i think maybe it, you know we should probably go to the next slide so just kind of like going through the thesis like just at a high level uh you know i i i want to just maybe could you explain a little bit about you know applying the collector's mindset so you know there's the white rabbit um sort of uh gra- like timeline and the graph here about his history and scarcity uh and and sort of the market what is the thesis behind this and you know why are historical entities significant yeah i think you know white rabbits uh, graphic, which is like the exponential curve graphic, um, really for a lot of us kind of expressed what we were feeling kind of intuitively, right? This idea of the explosion in the number of projects. And now it's gotten, the NFT space has gotten so advanced that, you know, you take ordinals, for example, because they're the, the NFT of the day. You know, Ordinal started two weeks ago. Um, it took probably two days to get to 100 um, uh, inscriptions. And then it took, you know, four more days to get to 100,000 or whatever. You know, just that exponential uh, curve uh, in one very specific project because the tech basically enabled it. And I think, you know, White Rabbit's graphic just just highlights that it took a long time for the tech to get to the point where people and artists could really use it if they weren't tech heavy and then once you know once crypto kitty happened and it was the right time you know the right tech the 721 came into play 
and you just get that explosion in 2018. And so from an, a collector's, a historic NFT collector's mindset, it's this idea that the technology is, is getting better and better every day. And this is going to be embedded in every human's life, you know, a decade or two down the road. And so looking at, you know, 2018 and earlier, you just have very, very few projects. And 2018 is like this outlier. Like, we don't know how many there are in 2018. My gut says a lot. I remember back in like maybe July of 2021, somebody put out a tweet and said, how many projects are there in 2018? And everybody guessed. And I, I think I might have said 150 at that time, but there may be even way more than that in, in 2018. 2018 was that the exponential blowout year simply because of CryptoKitties. But if you look before CryptoKitties, there just aren't that many. Um, Pepe's obviously is the big one uh, other than like punks, but Pepe's is the kind of big project. Um, and it's confusing from a collection standpoint because there are so many cards. It's really hard to value rare Pepe's. Um, but the number of different projects, Pepe spells, CryptoPunks, Curio, there just aren't many of them. And from a collector's standpoint, we just look at that and say, okay, we've got this base number of collections. Now, how do we, you know, figure out within these very small limited number of collections, how do we figure out value, uh, within these? And, and that, gets really complicated and there's a number of different ways really as many as there are people looking at it there's that many different ways to view those um how do you kind of hash out the value proposition of each one uh it's a weird mix of scarcity combined with you know cultural impact uh timeline when they were released and stuff so you get into this very complicated calculus um but that's the kind of general like layout of of how we look at it and and thankfully, White Rabbit was able to kind of codify this in the, in a one graphic, which captures the essence of it. Um, so, guys, you should look at it if you're in the uh, in the museum for sure. Awesome, yeah. Thanks for the for, for the context, Adam. I appreciate that. Super interesting. Um, so, uh, we 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 talked a little bit earlier about uh, earlier about Emblem Vault. Um, and I think, you know, we, uh, we kind of, this, there's some graphics here actually about, you know, the, the interface, I actually found it really user-friendly actually. Uh, so yeah, again, credit to you guys and the team, uh, for building such a, you know, interesting tool, uh, for historical NFTs, uh, and obviously now, you know, Bitcoin, uh, NFTs, which is super interesting. Um, and we, I guess we talked about sort of ordinals, uh, already, but, maybe uh, talk about Emblem Vault and kind of its role with the historical NFT space as a whole. And also, um, yeah, and maybe just, you know, some of the projects that you guys, uh, you know, have like, like Rare Pepe's, for example, could you, could you guys maybe like pick like maybe three or four projects um, uh, that are in Emblem Vault and, you know, why, uh, why is it significant? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll tackle this first. Uh, so Emblem Vault, actually, uh, since Adam and I host a show uh, every Friday now, and Dogfather, who's in the crowd, puts up, uh, brings like a bunch of counterparty and Doge Party stats to us. And from what we've learned, uh, Emblem Vault's facilitated the large majority of of trading for uh, counterparty assets, like literally getting close to like 
75% of it. So it's really just been the market to find liquidity um, for everything Rare Pepe, Spells of Genesis, uh, Saratobi, and everything, and so on. And so when, when we realized this, uh, one of the newest product that we've been working on for quite some time and Chance been working on is this idea of curated collections, uh, which we believe is just going to further uh, optimize counterparty uh, liquidity because it's going to allow... Pepe, Spells of Genesis, and all these different collections that are ERC-1155 like, to have their own OpenSea storefront page. So you'll see here pretty shortly probably in the next few weeks you'll see Pepe's and Spells of Genesis pop up first with their own individual page. So you can get them into the leaderboard and you can also use more effectively than, the, than what, you do, what you can with the, the current legacy vaults of uh, collection bids, collection bidding, and bidding on individual assets, and uh, just, just having a more efficient market has always been the goal. But on this list for curated collections, right now we have a list of about 50 to 75 different collections from the, from the historical space, um, and then also, interestingly, uh, a handful of Bitcoin artists or those who are trying to dabble and do something unique um, because Bitcoin artists and Dogecoin artists They've never had the ability to have creator royalties. So with this, we can do we can offer split royalties to these artists of every individual Pepe or every individual fake rare, or to Shaban for for Spells of Genesis, or to whoever Bitcoin artist that wants to come in and try to try to get some royalties. Uh, to me, it's just going to be a massive explosion um, across the awareness of Bitcoin NFTs, and then eventually it'll trickle down to Dogecoin NFTs and to Doge Party. Once the community kind of realizes it. So I think it's going to actually be like probably the perfect transition uh, when ordinal hype doesn't go away, but it slows down. And then you ha- you offer this transition to Bitcoin NFTs for counterparty, and then it'll increase more awareness and more interest. Right. And then from there, people are going to realize like, oh, there's NFTs across other other blockchains, other historic blockchains. And then that's when it goes down to Doge Party then probably name coin and so on and so forth. So for me, I'm just, I'm super excited about that. Also just currently we're working on and chance working hard on just optimizing ordinal support for it because there's just a lot going on there. I mean, there can also be a historical relevance there for the earlier sats, uh, which will probably be at some point here. Uh, I don't know in the next six months or so when the ordinal creativity or the interest they people start exploring the other aspects of it but curated collections is is our focus too once we get past just the uh, optimizing uh, emblem support for ordinals yeah i'd only layer on there just so people kind of understand a little bit um that it's surprising but the vast majority of of web3 users don't switch blockchains um so people who are using, you know, MetaMask for Ethereum, they're not going and getting a counterparty wallet. Like it just, you'd be surprised that barrier is, is just too high for a lot of people. So in the same way that, you know, somebody who's on Tezos might not come to Ethereum or somebody who's on counterparty um, doesn't necessarily want to come to Ethereum. You know, I think what Emblem's facilitated is this, just meet the collector where they are. And obviously right now, most collectors are on Ethereum. And so for that reason, that's just kind of why Emblem has worked. 
Um, and until that tech gets so much easier that it's basically seamless to move to other blockchains, uh, I think Emblem's going to have a great, great position because we meet the collector where they are. Yeah, I certainly agree. Um, you know, it's important to to know where the uh, the collectors are and the attention. Um, and I think you know Emblem is in a really good position to to really help help people. Um, you know, and collectors kind of uh, explore the, the the historical NFT space and also like you know obviously ordinals as well. Um, yeah, so I guess like you know the, this. Um, I guess the I've heard that you know you know, talking of um, where collectors are, right? OpenSea has, you know, obviously had, had a, you know, uh, I guess a, a huge um, market share of uh, NFT volume. Uh, and so, you know, you, you guys have been, you know, I guess what, like, I guess like you, you have been, you know, using OpenSea, right? Like as a way to, to kind of wrap these NFTs. Uh, but I've heard that you guys are, you know, working on a marketplace. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's right. It's we, when Adam and I joined the team, that was like our main focus, but if to get to the marketplace, we have to build the tools of the marketplace and curated collections are a huge component of that. Right. If we can optimize for uh, more efficient trading, but also just have the collection piece there, then building out a marketplace uh, makes it, much easier but also again as i was talking about or discussing during the the nft marketplace timeline that this is also a business too and uh, we have to be profitable we have to generate revenue in order to build this marketplace so what you see on OpenSea right now is kind of just like a it's like a two-pronged approach first it's it's going to be a key component to the historical nft marketplace but it also offers uh some some revenue for the company to go and build this and also, while simultaneously uh, increasing the exposure and awareness of Bitcoin NFTs, Namecoin NFTs, Dogecoin NFTs, etc. So there's multiple things going on there, but the market can't marketplace can't be built without these tools existing. So what you're seeing here is just kind of yeah, like a, a, a pseudo approach to getting there. Cool, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think it's a you know definitely a, a, a huge step in the right direction and. You know, I'm excited to you know see what you guys are building, and you know, uh, and also in the future, like I think Emblem Vault is really uh, innovating and, and showing uh, what uh, you know historical NFT space can do, and 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 also yeah, like uh, you know, helping collectors uh, collect the pieces that they they love. Um, so um, I think there's not too many slides left, so. And then we'll we'll kind of transition into that museum tour uh, that we talked about. But um, do you, do you guys have any I guess like um, tools that you recommend? Because I know that you know there's there's some visuals here of like um, the NFT history wiki. Um, uh, sort of you know that that's sort of like uh, a lot of contributors have have I guess um, written uh, about different projects. Spells Genesis, for example. Um, I actually do have a question about Spells of Genesis, actually, um, and, and and you know more 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 specifically, like on the counterparty, and um, you know ordinals part. Like, I guess to me, like it's it, you know I'm I'm still kind of learning and you know <laughs> maybe f you know figuring out like you know all these uh, nuances. But 
can you explain like you know obviously there's this historical provenance and significance to spells of genesis for example and counterparty uh, nfts how do you guys see you know the difference between ordinals and um, counterparty NFTs. Um, you know, I've, I've seen Leo Nidus, you know, explain it in a, in a tweet, you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, ordinals are, you know, ERC, um, you know, seven, uh, you know, 725 and, and, and the other one is uh, ERCs, you know, uh, um, you know, a, a completely different sort of chain. Like, you know, I, I guess, like, could you explain a bit more about the difference between the two? Uh, I think, what we need to do is we need to move towards the day when it doesn't matter. Uh, like that's really where we need to go. Like what, what tech's working on my web browser right now? Like I have no idea. Is it Java? Is it, I don't even know. Chromium. I have no idea. Right. Uh, that's where we need to get, get in the web three space where it doesn't really matter. All we know is this, an, this is a ownable piece of you know, digital real estate or digital items, right? Um, so from a historic NFT collector perspective, you know, the difference is, okay, you know, counterparty inscribes it this way on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, ordinals inscribe it this way on the Bitcoin blockchain. Are ordinals, the images and everything stored on chain? Yeah, and that's, so it's a unique difference with ordinals that make it um, more on chain, I guess you'd say than than spells of genesis certainly the images and stuff like that but spells of genesis are on chain too like they're inscribed into the bitcoin blockchain as well so you know it's it gets into the kind of this nuance um hopefully we move to a day when the nuance won't matter so much but um you know from a collector's perspective you know which is historically significant i mean it's not even there's no question you know spells of genesis uh pepe's these are historically significant these have gone through a couple of bear cycles you know collectors have already had years to value and estimate value and trade and up and down so we have a much much deeper kind of pricing history of these uh nfts than we do with ordinals ordinals are complete speculation right now um you know so just keep that in mind i'm not just and again it's they may be super valuable in the future and they may not be who knows we we have no idea because we haven't been through these cycles with them um so i don't know i rambled there for a bit it's 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 part of a larger kind of vision and i don't think it's going to really matter in 20 years in 20 years they'll probably look back and laugh if they're listening to this conversation like don't you guys they might they might say don't you realize all of these are historical you know <laughs> every single one you could have gotten anything back then and everything was historical. It's possible. Look out a hundred years. That is completely possible. But most of us, we have very much shorter time frames, right? Uh, we're human. So we, we think in, you know, two week time frames, right? Um, but it is all awesome for me. It's, it's all awesome because this is tech that's all moving us forward. And Ordinals has certainly been exciting this week um, because it sparked new, well, actually, it sparked for BT, BTC Maxis. It sparked a lot of the same conversations that they had when Counterparty kind of was getting going. And I, I know this because I was I, we've been talking to them all week where these same conversations take place. You know, should you even have NFTs on Bitcoin? You know, should you waste block space with NFTs or digital items? Um, so it's the same sort of conversations, but 
like they'll say, these are new people having these conversations. There are people like us who are collectors, who are interested in innovation, interested in Web3. And so it's different conversation. And those, those hardcore BTC maxis are basically being drowned out by people who have a different vision of the future. And, uh, and that's pretty exciting. And I think that's part of the reason why ordinals have been such a, had such a, a kind of golden period over the last two weeks where just everybody's excited about them. Awesome, Adam. Yeah, I certainly am excited about ordinals. Um, uh, I guess, you know, you know, I, I, I just want to say that, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not very technical, right? So I've, I've literally been wrapping my head around like the whole, all the spaces and, you know, all the technical language. Um, you know, the, the, I was struggling earlier to explain, you know, uh, Leonidas' tweet about, you know, ERC 721 and 1155. So I'm just, just correcting myself there. But, you know, I think the interesting part, like, you know, I guess the question about counterparty and, and ordinals, like, I guess, you know, it does, it does, at the end of the day, it doesn't make a difference, right? As long as, to me, like, I just, I just love collecting. I'm, I'm passionate about historical NFTs. You know, I'm really passionate about how uh, this space evolves, uh, as, you know, how, how the masses will be onboarded and, and why would they use NFTs, in, you know, as a whole. So, yeah, I'm super excited about, about that. Like, uh, I guess, like, in the future, how do you guys see this technology evolving? Well, I, I think to your point there, a little bit about the future is is looking at the past from, you know, uh, with a perspective of, oh, that maybe wasn't the perfect system back then. Maybe Counterparty wasn't perfect, right? But what they did with it was cool and interesting, right? And how, you know, Spells of Genesis was a game and, you know, it's kind of cool. And Pepe's first meme, you know, from some of the first memes on the blockchain, like, you know, it's it's looking at it from this historical lens and giving it the historical credit that it deserves, right? For being so early and being innovative, right? Um, so I don't think there's any sort of need to kind of press it, press these old projects into the future. It's like, no, they should be appreciated for the past, right? For what they did in the past, uh, given the limited resources, the limited kind of technical infrastructure, all these sort of things is that's what makes them special. Right. I don't know, Jake, if you want to chime in for a minute there. It is, I mean, it's actually a question I think about a lot of uh, how do you grow the overall pie for the historical NFT space? And so I try to look at kind of what's happening, happening currently in the NFT space and try to bring over some of those mechanics, but do it in a very authentic way, uh, whether it has to do with tokenization or bringing some of the culture of like shit posting, right? Or the media or the just consistent Twitter spaces. The, the historical space needs influencers, right? Whether we want it or not, right? Or leaders, however you want to describe it. And that's one of the best ways to onboard others is through trust because there is a lot of nuance to this. These uh, large collectors are going to reach out to those trusted figures to say, hey, can you help me figure out a way to vault my asset or give me some information on why the Satoshi card is, is valuable? I mean, we had 6529 Capital, they purchased, right? Uh, the, I think the FD card and the Satoshi card. And they reached out to Leonidas for help, for information. Uh, Adam and I have also been reached out to from a lot of other individuals um, for various reasons. I mean, for good and bad. I know some large accounts have reached out to, to Adam and Leo to say, hey, you know, we like historical NFTs, but anytime we ever post anything about it, 
the community just attacks us vigorously because one piece of information is wrong. And right. If, if, if they felt, if, if they were passionate about it and, and Adam and Leo or trusted person wasn't there, then they would just completely dismiss it. So they have to go through these, through the, the leader figures to kind of figure it out. Um, and this is like, I think the historical space for the people who exist in it, there's not that many content creators and it definitely has to, to improve. I know the space is weird because it's wrapped in pseudonymity. Um, but just doing spaces like this really helps, uh, this year, I mean, I've seen more threads than ever on historical NFT. So that's a major plus. That's definitely something that exists uh, within the NFT spaces, writing these like very intricate threads on whatever your belief is. I think it was Leo that actually said that our memes for the historical spaces, timelines and, and graphic and infographics, which is very true. So we need to just lean into that, maybe add some more, you know, some more comedy or uh, some more playfulness to it. And so that it doesn't have to be consistently um, just very tone deaf, if I had to, if I had to be honest. Uh, but then also to support those people in the historical space who want to go out and explore outside of it as well, because that's where those relationships are built. I mean, for myself, I spent the winter buying just PFPs and buying other projects to kind of just learn to also just like get into those communities and to just see how we can onboard some of them. And right, they do, right? I go enter the Pepe community harder with the fake memes and then a bunch of people see the moon cat. And so then they start asking about it and they start purchasing it and uh, trying to bring, and then for my podcast, right? I've interviewed now close to like 70 or 80 different people in the space. And now I'm kind of running out of people to talk to. <laughs> it's a, and also it's kind of hard to, to reach out to some of these people because they want to remain anonymous or they're too OG for somebody. And so they don't want to talk with you or whatever the case is. So, you know, I'm expanding outwards and interviewing people just in the general NFT space. And I think that needs to happen a little bit more um, or the community just needs to find ways to do that um, that is very authentic to themselves. I know I saw Irish Gal was in here. She does she does a very similar thing. Dogfather's putting out more tweets, right? Everyone's kind of running different different aspects and uh, just needs I just encourage more people to participate and do that and not just be such a maximalist, although we do love it. it. We won't survive if we're just the old person shouting that, hey, this this V2 contract's really cool, but this V1 is has a better timestamp. Most people just really don't care, to be honest. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, all you got to do is look to the Bitcoin maxis or something and just how, how it makes it seem small, uh, how it makes Bitcoin seem small and vulnerable. Um, where in the same sense, I, I would encourage people who might think of historic NFTs that way. And like, we need to somehow protect and, you know, th that's the, that's the wrong attitude from my view. It's like, no, we need to be open and inclusive and encouraging of a growing tech space uh, and encourage the entire NFT space um, and not be quick to judge. Oh, this is a scam or whatever. Those monkey penguins are, are a pump and dump. Like, look, man, it's that's that's the wrong attitude. Um, the the attitude should be one of growing the entire space, uh, inclusivity, and and showing people what we find really cool and valuable, and doing that in new interesting ways, like Jake just described. Uh, that's how everybody benefits. Yeah, Adam uh, and Jake, I, I certainly agree with that. I think 
you know, for crypto skulls, especially, you know, and the DAO, um, you know, we, we created this NFT museum uh, with this vision and mission in mind of like, how do we grow this space? And, you know, how do we grow this community together? And I think like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a one big family in a way. And, uh, you know, the past few weeks after, you know, doing, you know, four, four or five shows is that, you know, we, we really like, learned about the stories and, and the lore of you know, different projects and you know we we have um you know yeah, i guess last week we had uh, historians uh, like leo uh, and uh, white rabbit so you know they they really took us through like some some of the projects uh, in the past and also kind of like you know we, we've we've got more guests coming up who are you know project founders um, and they're really you know gonna inspire us like you know, the, about their stories and, you know, where, you know, where the, um, you know, the projects are sort of on in the NFT his, history timeline. Um, but yeah, for, for Crypto Skulls, you know, it was literally that. It was like, you know, it was a catalyst for people to explore other historical projects. And to me, that was like the really interesting part of it because, you know, I, I've seen a lot of um, community members lately uh, swapping uh, NFT artifacts uh, with, with other historical nft communities you know the pride punks um the the v1 punks as well so you know i know i know that uh crypto skulls is just trying to develop relationships between uh, you know other projects so you know i really i love to see that really and um to me it's about education it's about awareness and about building those relationships uh, like jake and adam said so um yeah like I'm, yeah can, can i just say you yeah. guys have done an amazing job uh over like the last year um, and the communities in general, like, let's give ourselves a pat on the back, man. I mean, the historic NFT communities of which we're all in probably a dozen or more of them, right? But have done a really good job of like interacting with each other and having spaces together and, you know, buying each other stuff and just being, you know, together because there aren't that many of us, man. There really aren't that many, you know, historic NFT collectors. And uh, being supportive, I think we've all seen has been just such a better way to be um then kind of you no know, divided you know and, and in our own you know tiny silos um i just think it's been way more beneficial and obviously way more fun to hang out and, and talk historical nfts together yeah i mean even just the spaces we did over this weekend because of the ordinal uh because of the the ordinal stuff that was happening and we adam and i were in like uh, i don't know we had to do at least 10 to 15 different spaces like over this weekend because we're known as like the historical NFT people, the, that conversation is brought up or even the word historical NFT in these spaces with thousands of people. And if we had boxed ourselves in, that just would not happen. And so it just it continually over time, the NFT space in crypto or maybe even just humans, the more they hear about something, the more interested they become. But every time that you do approach them or have a conversation with them, there's a little bit more development. There's a little bit more development, right? There's a museum. Oh, now we have a new technology. Oh, now we have a curated collection. Oh, now Crypto Schools is, is on chain, right? All these different things that every time you have that discussion, you throw in the world's historical NFT. It's like the Lindy effect. How many times did you hear about Bitcoin before you actually purchased Bitcoin? Like most people, it's generally many, many times. And that's probably something, uh, and that's probably what's going to happen here as well, is that eventually sometime there's going to be a massive sale or one of, some, one of the big influencers or leaders, whoever's going to buy some historical NFTs and put out a thread. And then there's just like no coming back from there. So, and then it just, it has a takeoff because there's enough infrastructure to kind of support the system or the ecosystem. 
Yeah, thanks, Jake. So, conscious of time, we'll we'll kind of wrap the, you know the interview, like I guess, panel up uh, with like you know a few quick fire questions, um, and then you know, like I would I would just love to kind of hand over the the keys to the museum as 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 um, <laughs> as as we uh, you know wind up and the last half an hour and just kind of yeah, just learn from you guys and uh, just maybe pick a few projects you want to talk about. Uh, but yeah, three, you know, I guess the first question is, you know, can you pick top the top three uh, NFT projects that you love the, that are historical and um, and why? Very you want to go first, Jake? Go ahead. All right. All right. Um, I mean, my two, I mean, I'm, I'm always biased, but my favorite two has always been Mooncats and Pepe's. There's a lot of similarities between them that I've found. Um, in terms of like their community rarity system, uh, their like significance, their larger collections, so they have larger communities. Uh, I think Mooncats are just because they're on ETH, as as Adam had mentioned before. A lot of people just do not want to move blockchains. When people look into historical NFTs, they're generally looking at Mooncats first. It has the largest community. Uh, they're also pixelated cats. They came around the same time as punks. They have a lot of firsts. They there was definitely um, some. Maybe I don't know if you call it botched or maybe the the boutique experiment had not worked out as much as people would like, which is which is okay. You know, that's what Pondware does. They just put out new things to see how how it was received. But to me, I don't think the historical space succeeds without Mooncat succeeding. It's they're always the leader whenever there's like a whenever there's a historical NFT run, which it's happened like I think three times now. Mooncats were always the first movers. They always have 500 or more sales in one day and that's kind of when you know and then everything trickles down uh pepe's of course right birth of crypto art of the movement i should say right because i suppose genesis is art but the the decentralized crypto art community and movement comes from pepe's it's the mickey mouse of the internet it's just it's not going away to me that's just the final boss of historical nfts once you get pepe's across all these different blockchains to kind of support because there's such a large supply. Uh, the hyper pepeization um, is probably inevitable at some point. It's just the community is just so intertwined with everything that's going on in culture. I just don't see that going away anytime soon. And it's only going to continually appreciate price, which is actually what I had displayed when I did that, that fake meme uh, that I had launched. A uh, third one I would say is probably spells of Genesis. Honestly, it seems like there's a lot of, uh, traction that's been picking up in it a lot a lot more interest um from from bigger collectors who want to purchase these assets uh i don't know the specific reason why i actually don't own any spells of genesis anymore i used to have sold some of them i still think it's a very iconic project and uh, i think it's easier easy for a lot of newbies to kind of grasp when you say first blockchain game right mobile game blockchain gaming and then the cards are very uh closely affiliated to different crypto uh, cultural moments or cards or personalities that uh, it's easy for the, the decentralized maxis to understand. Uh, and it's easy for uh, the gamers and a lot of other people to understand. We just have to get that, just have to get them uh, sorted out and optimized uh, for trading on OpenSea, which we're going to do pretty shortly. Awesome. Adam? I mean, that's a killer list. How are you going to argue with that? Um, I don't know. It's it's so funny. It's uh, 
I often think when people, I, I was literally on a show like right before this show and it was like, they asked kind of the name, my favorite NFT and it's literally impossible. Right. Um, I tend to go towards when I just think of favorites, uh, not necessarily the most valuable or anything like that. Just the ones that kind of emotionally, uh, got me and that, that, that always surrounds people. Right. Um, so, you know, I always t- I talk about curio cards all the time, obviously, because I'm friends with so many, you know, of the the artists and, and people who started curio cards. So that just always holds a special place for me. Um, you know, I, I, I think I told those guys on the show earlier, like Pixel Map, you know, Pixel Map obviously for me was was kind of life changing because it was such a, a, a kind of big find at the time and kind of defined me and you know change ken's life and you know just has the crazy story behind it and stuff so you know i don't don't know it's just nfts you know mean different things for different people right nobody here and listening to the space is gonna have that same connection with pixel map that i have with it and of course they don't you know whether those tiles they may have another story though that maybe they were there at the at the the rediscovery and they managed to get get one and and they beat the bots you know and grabbed one and therefore they have that they do have that emotional connection with it or an emotional connection with it right or certainly moon cats i mean dude moon cats that day that rediscovery is emotional day for me and a whole bunch of people right so they'll always be that special you know connection with moon cats and so i think from a collector's perspective you know if you if you're thinking about well which one should i buy you know, which ones have these kind of deep emotional roots with people? Uh, I think you, you can't go wrong if you can find those roots. Awesome, Adam. Appreciate the uh, the answers. <laughs> it was just a fun question. Actually, if you look, you can see the uh, the slideshow. Like, that that was the free that was, I, I, I guess, uh, for you. I, I know you love your curio cards, uh, but, like, you know, it was, a, it was a cheeky answer, you know, because I... I saw your T-shirt, uh, NFT NYC, I think. Uh, there, yeah. There, there's a crypto skull on your T-shirt, so I was like, "Yep, yeah, this is uh, this is one of your favorite projects." But uh, you know, I, I uh, appreciate the um, you know, like the perspective, and I, I know you, you know, it's it's a it's a tricky question, you know. You, I think I think all of us would just love to collect everything, right? I think that's um, you know, super interesting to to kind of like, you know to is it's, it's a collector's mindset i think it's like uh yeah really fun to to just collect stuff so uh yeah <laughs> yeah was... i mean to get to give a, another little piece of context right um like my the pfp i'm rocking now right this is from the uh we're here now from from dan you know he's making a movie about nfts right um and just you know my connection with dan uh i was actually i think i was the first person he he ever interviewed for that movie right and, you know, I'm rocking it because I, I like him and I want to support his project. Right. And, you know, bring awareness. Right. And uh, just those kind of connections. I mean, beyond it's it's not about money. Like, I'm never going to sell this NFT. You know, it's never going to leave my wallet. You know what I mean? It's it's about the emotional connection for me. Right. To another person. And uh, I don't know. It's it might be getting sappy. But for me, that's a lot of what this is. Awesome. Yeah. So without, um, you know, without going over time, I just want to 
hand over the keys to you guys. Uh, you can you can do a you know a very quick museum tour. Um, you know, I just you know based on your timings and you know just just kind of take us through some of the projects. Um, but yeah, I, if you know that kind of concludes the sort of the panel discussion. Um, so thanks for you know both of you for kind of uh, you know sharing your knowledge. Um, and um, yeah, really really you know what a what a space you know to to be in and and uh, learn from you know historians like yourselves i i encourage everyone to check out uh jake and adam's uh show uh every week on on friday i believe uh and also kind of like you know check out their podcast that they do uh i know jake's got you know the jake gallon podcast on spotify and uh adam's uh, the adam mcbride show so yeah super cool uh i can see already that you know you have a uh, ordinal um, content uh, on on the podcast, uh, Jake. So yeah, really excited to to uh, to listen to that. Um, but yeah, like I, I can also see there's a lot of historical NFT content as well. So yeah, definitely uh, yeah, check it out, guys. Uh, and uh, over to you uh, to kind of just take us through the museum. This is the last chance for you guys to enter. Uh, just kind of refreshing the space. Um, you know, the link is at the top if you want to join us in a museum. But yeah, thanks so much uh, for answering the questions. And uh, yeah, feel free to kind of take us through uh, a few of the projects that you mentioned or haven't mentioned. But yeah, thank, thanks so much. Yeah, so I'm in the, I don't think I'm in the same room as Adam anymore, but I'm in the 2011 to 2015 prehistoric to early emergence period. I like how you guys really set all this stuff up. You got Etheria in here and in this early day and age right and in this period most of the stuff's like around like identity stuff um a lot of name coin the very earliest ethereum and what else is over there my favorite one in here is of course the twitter eggs i used to own a twitter eggs uh it kind of onboarded me to to name coin uh, towards the end of 2021 kind of under trying to first understand the technology itself took a little bit there was no real info there was no information on it back then most of the stuff was still over the counter. I think Emblem Vault had just started uh, tokenizing it to- or selling them. I just think the I've been in crypto since 2016, and just the intertwinement of of crypto and Twitter to me, it's just like that's where the culture is built, right? It, it refuses to leave Twitter, and being able to have 277 of these that were tokenized on Namecoin, uh, which represents the it was also the most popular default picture in Twitter history. And they actually had a lot of backlash for removing the egg when they had it from 2010 to 2015. Uh, of course, the, the unfortunate part and why a lot of people disagree with it, there's a handful of reasons, right? The, the, ex, the differing, differing uh, position on UTXO provenance versus uh, the uh, registry provenance um, has turned some away. Uh, the the early excavator who found them had claimed large majority of them, and uh, there'd been some some community turmoil as well. But to me, it's something I want to get back into. I want to acquire another one at some point in the future because I think it's just cool to have. Whether it doesn't have a resale value now, maybe in the future it does. But that's probably my favorite one in this room. I, I like this one. Um, this this is a great room. But uh, you know, the one most people might not pay attention to is the uh, Stephen Vogler. One, which is the text-based one. That's his nothing work. Um, but basically, he um, used, uh, in, in a similar way that, that ordinals basically put their info on the blockchain, 
he was trying to come up with a system to do that uh, back in 2015. And so, you know, Vogler's work uh, with his faces, and this was his nothing uh, version of that kind of that grouping of art of trying to how do I how do I connect this to the blockchain? Um, you know, can't be overstated how how cool what he was trying to do and actually tie in like the German legal system for creating legal provenance for it back then uh, is very, very cool. Right. Don't, for Steven Vogler's work, I actually don't know too much. Don't they call it like a proto NFT or yeah, it would be a, there's some be, nuance to it, right? Oh, there's a lot of nuance. Yeah, it, it's definitely proto. I'm not even sure if he used the op return or how he actually locked the, the data onto the blockchain. Uh, he basically was trying to create something similar to ordinals where it's like the standardization of how, uh, the information is tied to a Satoshi. And, um, and I mean, I just know this for, cause I know a bunch of people who have these that it's like, when you want to transfer it, you gotta, you gotta call up Steven so he can walk you through the transfer process. <laughs> so that's where this one is. So this is for surety, a, uh, proto NFT. Uh, but makes it very cool from a collector standpoint, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You want to head? Which room do we want to head into next? Right? Let's, uh, let's go next door. Yeah, we'll go up here. I see. Yeah, a ninja I, like, suit. I like. I like how it, this set up for. Uh, I guess HNFT museum. How long did it take you guys to put this together? And were there any other designs for the museum that you guys worked through before landing on this? Yeah, it took uh, a few a few months, I believe. Um, you know, I think Brian and his team worked super hard to kind of like build this out with with us. Um, we we basically sent out a form to the community and we're like, you know, anyone wants to like, you know, have their art uh, assets curated into the museum, like just send it to us and we'll kind of help curate it. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, I think Brian did a, and his team did a great job uh, at Simulacra. Um, but yeah, like I think, I, I believe they're still building and there's there's lots of different like, I guess, iterations and design ideas. And I think, you know, things like custom hoodies and, uh, you know, AR, like they're, they're experimenting with a bunch of stuff. And, you know, I think uh, yeah, it's, it's a really cool experience and I think it's gonna, only going to get better as well. Yeah. Very, very cool. I, I was just going to say, you know, I, I think it all starts here with the Nakamoto card. It's it's so interesting when we had, uh, we had a, a Pepe space, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago or whatever, and learned that actually the Nakamoto card wasn't the first card that was distributed. Uh, actually, card I think it was card two, right? Shitcoin is no, is yeah. two Mount Gox. Mount Gox is two. Okay, yes. So Shitcoin card was actually the first card that was distributed, uh, which is very interesting. But when people are like, "Oh, which which Pepe is going to be the ones that hold value?" Because there are seventeen of hundred of them, it's almost impossible for collectors to kind of siphon or filter filter through that um so i think you know from a a a value standpoint most of it's going to accrue to nakamoto just because of awareness um so nakamoto is always going to kind of have the that special place um we could always talk i mean there's just there's endless stories here right we could talk about ninja suit um but you know pepe's and the v1 v2 pepe's uh is definitely kind of this story from a historical nft perspective which for onboarding new people into historic nfts i don't think there's any better story than um the v1 version of uh 
crypto punks, right? Because, you know, to have it when people learn, wait a minute, crypto punks has, has an earlier version. When they learn that for the first time, it, it, it gets them to question everything. It's like, wait, what, wait, what are NFTs? How do, what's, where does the value accrue? How do you know which is which and why, and why is that important? It just brings up all these kind of cool questions that people who want to go down the historic NFT rabbit hole, you know, starting with punks is a great place to start because it, it brings up questions that need answering. And uh, there's lots of stories to be told around them. Yeah, this room is a very valuable room. I like the Lord Keck card. It's probably one of the most valuable rare Pepe's out there. It's a set of 10, I believe. Uh, it is divisible. So I think there's only a handful that actually exist. This was a Robness card, I believe. And I believe Jason Williams, who's, you know, the Bitcoin guy going parabolic, I believe purchased a full one of these for like a few million dollars during the, during the massive bull run, right? It's a play on, I don't know if you know that the whole Keck story with Pepe's is, uh, this actually started in 4chan. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of, of how rare Pepe or how Pepe went alt-right or these like weird, um, pharaohs and like egyptian lore that pops through there's actually uh, it's called the i think it's called keck or the god of keck which is like this frog like figure in the uh, egyptian ancient egyptian times that uh that they all prayed to as a, was lord keck but i think it was called like the god keck or something like that and that's how keck became part of the pepe community and then 4chan started using keck and then the rare pepe community made lord keck and you just pray to it and bow to it. And uh, it's an iconic and very valuable card, very rare. I don't know if this is a full card or not, but if it is, then we're sitting in front of wealth right now. <laughs> Generational wealth, man. <laughs> Generational wealth. Bow to the frogs, dude. Bow to the frogs. All I right, mean, it's have... so... Yeah, let's go to the next one. It's cool. I Dude, the graphics of this are in- incredible. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's incredible. So what 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 is the process for to get your artwork on here? Is uh, do you guys have to to custody these assets? You just integrate it. What what's that process like? Uh, yeah. So like we basically we um, open it up to the crypto skulls community. Like so, you have to be a holder to uh, submit the artwork. But essentially, like there there was a bunch of holders who have lots of you know all these different historical artifacts. And yeah, like it was it was trying trying to like bring the the community together and like you know maybe we'll open up like as we um expand the museum i think it was just a technical limitation of like how many we can submit uh and we wanted to get like exposure to all the historic you know as many historical projects as possible um but yeah also try to like give back and you know to to the crypto skulls community and uh but hopefully we can expand it further and actually like you know build out build up more uh more space for different art pro- you know historical projects Awesome. I'm standing in front of this moon cat and uh, I know this moon cat very well because it used to be mine, actually. <laughs> I traded a Voldy for this, uh, for a crypto school, like right around the same time that the crypto school things, the whole movement was happening. So looks like he's storing it uh, very well. But I was like, wow, that looks very familiar. That's so funny, man. <laughs> Dude, it's oh, like, I, I, this is the great thing about this, this, uh, the museum here is just like each one of these you just look around and it's like well 
God, what story should I tell? Because I've got stories around literally all of these, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's so awesome. Like I love, so I'm standing in front of uh, the Mitchell Chan uh, piece here, right? Uh, Digital Zones. And, you know, uh, just if you guys don't know about the Digital Zones, um, Mitchell did this in uh, 2017. So it's really... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, I think it's really the end of the first individual artist doing a project on Ethereum. And, um, so it's, it's pretty special just from that perspective, but how he was then taking, you know, the work from Eve Klein from back in like 1960 and bringing Eve's work into like the modern NFT, uh, world was just, uh, you know, revolutionary. And it's, it's really been, it's been rewarded by collectors as far as pricing goes. Uh, I don't know what these were trading for a quarter or a half million dollars each. Dude, um, there was, there was the, what, when I sold the moon cats at Sotheby's, that one there sold for like 1.2 million or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> could have been had like when I did my, <laughs> when I, you know, the, Mitchell's such a great guy. And when I did my podcast with him, uh, you know, there were still ones left from, I don't know. He had multiple, it was like a pricing ramp, the way they sold. They sold in like blocks of 10. And the first one was like 0.01 ETH. The second one was 0.02. The third one was 0.04. Whatever it was, it like went up like that to the final one of like, you know, 0.9 ETH or 1 ETH or whatever it was. And um, before I interviewed Mitchell for the podcast, you know, there were still one sitting in the dispenser for like, <laughs> you know, point. 0.06 ETH or some crazy number, right? <laughs> and I didn't get any, you know. I like, I, you know, it's just it's it's one of these things where if you don't have enough money at the time, you you're you're stuck in this hamster wheel of not having enough, so you don't get it, and then you miss out, and you you know, it's all this sort of mm-hmm. thing. And so missed uh, opportunities there with Mitchell's, but um, of course, after I had him on the podcast, and his last one sold out in you know half a second or whatever as the bots went and got the last ones as people realized oh my god what is this this is actually incredible work um and mitchell's fantastic and if you saw his latest drop where you know he's basically created art as an immersive experience you know he calls it a video game but really it's an immersive experience and we all had him on a live pod with uh jake and leo and um you know, he's just an innovator and he's an innovative, uh, valuable uh, artist and a well-known artist. And uh, so that just makes Digital Zones um, really, really special from the on the historic NFT timeline. So, yeah, that's my my little story of loss. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's so many there's so there's so many good ones in here. I know this blue rock. I don't know who says it's owned by Anon. This person paid 900 ETH for, um, they pulled it out of a vault. I think it was like $3 million at the time. And I know this because I've used this exact blue one in, in slides before. So uh, I think this is actually the all-time high sale for for Rock. Um, one of my other favorite ones, of course, is the castles, man. I just love the mimetic value of it. It's a community that hasn't died. Um, still going strong, right? It's a small community. I think it's like 350 owners out of 500. So that's pretty good distribution. It has a lot of uh, OG value. I mean, Pranksy claimed one originally. You had uh, Snowfro, who created Art Blocks, claimed one uh, yeah. in the early days. I believe there's like a handful of other people who've owned it. Uh, I mean, now you even have DeFi Llama, who's 
pretty is like one of the largest uh leaders in the DeFi space um is actually the person who wrote the rapper and so uh or, or ox ngmi i believe is like one of the early ones and he works with sovin on this and he loves it and so there's just like it's just cool hopefully one day we could get a castle but i think just, <laughs> own, just owning one man just owning one uh, it feels good it's uh it was funny when snowfro when he like acknowledged it that was only a couple months ago uh, where he was like, oh, yeah, I think I do. Have, we, I do have those castles, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, the back and forth on Twitter. That was pretty cool to find out he was a OG holder, you know, basically minted it in uh, very early 2019, you know, trying to play the castle game and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we love the castles. Wow. A 2019 castle. That's probably more value than a lot of those. That's yep. like the that's like the Mooncat stuff with the different <laughs> different years. Yep. different things and then we're back here okay so now we're in the the main room of course autoglyphs is uh is the iconic one owned by hemba oh okay so one one in here that people forget a lot which i've been trying to get i've been bidding actively over like six months trying to get uh a full a full building is at ether city and uh there's the i forget the founder i don't know i think adam might have interviewed him sure uh He's doing active development on Solana uh, and Ethereum, and he's put in cool upgrades. Uh, I just think it's a cool project. Very, very early metaverse project that's uh, f- that was fully immersive. Came around the same time as Decentraland, and uh, it's just underappreciated, uh, maybe because there's like no mass marketing. But uh, I believe Leo was using it for a gallery at one point. Uh, just super cool project. Yep. I mean, I, I love Crypto Arte, um, which I'm in front of right now. Uh, Seb is always building stuff. And, um, if you guys don't know Seb, I mean, Seb helps a lot of teams bring NFTs to, to life. Uh, and so he, he's just an amazing builder in the space, but the, the crypto arte, um, idea of visualizing the growth of the Ethereum blockchain, um, over the beginning, its beginnings, um, is a really, really cool idea. And I think anybody who who is a believer in Ethereum, which I think we all are, uh, y- you got to hold a crypto arte piece. And they're they're still super cheap. I mean, I, they're they're not much above their mint right now. Um, of course, you know they're always the there's rarities, and I mean, crypto arte has kind of more rarities than almost any project in the world. I mean, they've got so many different rarity features. Uh, but of course, you can just go simply with age and go for some of the first ones. But they just have some really cool vibes. I love like the yellows and the pinks that come up uh, later in the later years of uh, of Ethereum. But um, yeah, crypto art is pretty awesome. Gotta, gotta, gotta love it. Yeah, this room, it's interesting to think. And I think Adam and I have had a few conversations about this is like, what's going to be the next wave, right? That we look at it like historical nfts uh and trying to look at i think looking at like now since there's an explosion you want to try to find the early the early tokens for new technologies i think this is why the whole ordinal thing blew up and why a lot of yeah. people are going for the low inscription number and they're like if this is a new standard right it's like yep. we we use in historical nfts at least on eth right you use the pre-erc 721 and post is like a big benchmark I think with with ordinals, that's probably the same. Or even I try to look at emerging categories in the space of like AI NFTs, music NFTs, et cetera, and then try to explore there. Not necessarily always has to be the first asset, but you try to find, at least I try to find the most unique um, or one that's kind of cool. And that's, 
I think where historical NFTs is going is our community is just going to start migrating to these early technologies and then really exploring from there. Yep. Awesome. Is this, is that, did we get every room? I think we did, didn't we? I think so. I think so. I think we got, well, I just got to say the blood orcs here. <laughs> IPC. <laughs> oh boy. What a crazy disaster that was. <laughs> disaster. So funny. If, if y'all hadn't heard the story, like when that was relaunched, you could literally go and buy them. Uh, guy had, you could buy them on his website and pay with PayPal. And <laughs> so it was basically still live. And so I don't know how many you bought, Jake, or if you bought I got a lot. four. I got four of the cards. Yeah, that came he, in the mail. He literally so I bought, you know, I was like, Jesus, I don't know what they were. They were like fifteen bucks each or something. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I, I just did the rough math. I'm like, man, I'm gonna go get like I'm gonna actually get the I'm gonna get like five hundred or th- I don't <laughs> even know how many I got. I got a lot. My my wife literally is like, Are you charging PayPal right now? <laughs> you know, or something. <laughs> She got like pinged, and I was like, "Yeah, baby, I, I just made like ge- this was one I didn't fumble, right?" I was like, "I, I just got his generational wealth, baby. Don't worry, <laughs> you know what I mean." It was like one of those, right? And uh, at the end, I think I got one. <laughs> <laughs> I think he sent me one, like all the money. He, he did refund all the PayPal money, right? But I think I literally got one paper one, which I haven't scratched. I kept it up, you know. I just kept it as mo- like a memento. You know, but I think at the end of the day, I got one, uh, one IPC. Um, so yeah, it's one of those uh, messed up launches, but it is what it is. It, it's a cool one. I I love his uh, the idea behind the uh, paper wallets and stuff is uh, is pretty fun, and it's a cool way to onboard people uh, to NFTs. So I still think that has some some coolness to it, and I have it sitting in my uh, closet right now <laughs> the, fu- the funniest part of that story was when he was saying it was a 4k max and uh, <laughs> and it wasn't re- and, and the images weren't rendering on OpenSea either and then all of a sudden it was at 4200 then it was like 5,000 6,000 so we're like what the what is going what is going on here and then the bots started picking up on it just because the people write algorithms that that trade against momentum spreads yeah, and eventually, I think what he shut it off at like thirteen k. Yeah, it's like thirteen like k, and then it oh was like, God. oh, and there, wait, there's an earlier contract. I don't worry about that earlier contract, and then all <laughs> that was sold out. So now there's like, whatever, there's fifty thousand IPCs or however many, <laughs> whatever. It is what it is. I got one sitting in my closet. <laughs> oh man, complete complete crater. Yeah, I, I bought four of them. I think they were like twenty. 20 bucks or something like that at yeah. the time i know a few people who ended up ordering like yourself like hundreds of them and yeah. uh probably a little salty <laughs> yeah they got i mean there there was a lot of uh bad blood there because i mean you, we were early right we did get them <laughs> in but i don't know what how, however he did his distribution uh it did not get distributed to the people who were early that's for sure but hey it is what it is um still a cool idea about what he did i love you know that that the developer behind it built, you know, Echo the Dolphin, which is like a uh, for for us old guys. We we played <laughs> Echo back in the day, so it was again one of these kind of connection points. But um, yeah, you get what it get. We we got rugged on that one. <laughs> <laughs> rugged hard, but yeah, yeah. I mean, interesting to see where we go. Uh, and thank you guys for hosting this. This is actually a lot of fun to go through the walkthrough. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, you know being our guest. And uh, what are your like, you know, 
what are your top NFTs in your collection? Like, is there a, do you guys have like a on Cyber Gallery or somewhere we can look at your collections? I'm, I'm sure it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so I don't have a gallery or anything, but if you just go to catdadmuseum.eth, that's where I put all of like my long-term uh, historical NFTs. I think there's like two or 300 in there from pretty much all the blockchains. Just missing a few collections. Of course, the biggest one I have is Mooncats. That was like where my conviction bet is. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But the, yeah, there's a lot of unique ones in there. Uh, I have Jake.bit, which I actually acquired. I think I'm the only person to ever acquire from this character called uh, 100 NMC who owns like legit probably like 20% of the supply of Namecoin stuff. Um, I managed to buy it, Jake.bit, which was minted in May. It's like the number 300 ever NFT uh, for, for 100. Or I bought it for 200 NMC. And then he realized what was happening. And so he went and acquired ID slash Jake Gallon, And he's been salty ever since. And I don't think he's sold any of the NFTs to anybody. I believe he's the one who owns, <laughs> I believe he's the one who owns Bitcoin.bit, which is the first NFT. And uh, he's been just over, he charges, I think like 10th now for anything, if anybody wants oh to get anything. <laughs> oh so uh, I did like a whole thread on it. And uh, yeah, so I own Jake.bit. That's why it's, uh, it's my header. Uh, there's a lot of meaning wrapped up in it, but yeah, it's just super funny. He went and came, claimed my name on every other protocol. On, oh. on <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, people boy. are crazy man people are crazy yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for me i don't have i think i've told the story a bunch of times um and, and like look i don't have any super gray i don't have a grail like an autoglyph or um you know i think i've told people before like dude when i got into this in 2021 i started with like 1500 bucks right i, I was not um i'm an old school wall street guy like i don't believe in like throwing money around um on, on super risky stuff so i missed tons of stuff um i'm not a super whale but most of my stuff is in wallets that i don't even know exist like i i actually hide my wallets from myself um <laughs> because i don't want to sell any of my stuff um so i i am not a seller of my stuff and i don't have it consolidated in in one place um i've i've put stuff in in wallets that i will hopefully unearth in maybe 10 years and uh hopefully have something of value, but that that's my strategy, which is the lose your wallet strategy and go find it in 10 years. Um, yeah. It's, it's a smart. That's, well, we'll see. Smarter. <laughs> we're not sure. I love that. Yeah. I, I, I followed something pretty similar. I mean, my cat dad museum one, right. Cause I have like three or four separate wallets, but they're all, they're all public. Um, that one to get access to, I have to go through like 10 steps to get to. So anytime somebody asks me to go do something with it, I'm just like, dude, I'm not going through some hours to, to, to open that thing up. So you got to, got to protect yourself from, from the FOMO. But yeah, there's, there, I, I'm a little bit opposite. You know, I like, I like the hype and stuff. So during the Mooncat stuff, I was spending some big monies um, over there. I think I have two, two of the top five Mooncat largest purchases. Uh, I think I have like one of the largest sales. Um, I spent a, pretty penny on a Twitter egg that I sold later. Um, I've spent some money on, on Pepe's and stuff, but uh, I like, I like doing that again from like what I was talking about before you got to participate in this, like these like hype stuff if you want to really like bridge people over. So that's kind of how I made a lot of friends is people see these large sales and then you start getting all these Twitter spaces and the, the, the hype machines, which are just the content creators to come in and start talking about it and referencing you. But it is fun to participate and dabble. But man, dude, sometimes about a month later, you get very hard buyer's remorse. <laughs> so I you just say, got... 
actually what yeah it's like one of the actually now that i'm thinking about it uh probably one of my biggest holdings is um is crypto arte and it was during that the kind of hype cycle around crypto arte when you know it minted out in like a day after seb was on you know my podcast and seb's literally just minting them by hand and just selling out everything you know they're basically getting bought up by bots and stuff and i bought a bunch of old ones and so i think during that hype cycle you know i'm only remembering it because it was like it was like a a crazy discussion point i had with my wife at the time where i don't know i was talking to, to my wife about it and and like just putting it in context because my dad passed away like you know 15 years earlier or whatever and i'm like if i had told my dad if my dad was sitting here right now and i t- told my dad that i have like seventy thousand dollars worth of art he'd have thought like i was a freaking rockefeller or something like <laughs> what are you talking about you have you paid anything for art like we buy our war art at Walmart. What are you talking about? You have seventy thousand dollars in art. Like that. That was like a, just a moment in time where I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I hold like significant portions of my wealth in art. <laughs> like that was kind of a crazy moment for me. So yeah, I'm a big uh, big crypto arte holder, and what a crazy ride. Yeah, dude, it's 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 incredible. I kind of miss those rediscoveries, but every time there's a new rediscovery now, they they just become more controversial every single time. Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> every totally. time, it's because everyone's like, "Oh, the supply has increased," or "Oh, this this isn't a historical NFT," or "This is an NFT," or whatever the case is, man. So uh, we, I do think though, we are like in this next stage of the historical NFTs moving into. I've been talking about this kind of for like probably six months to a year now that. We are moving into the phase two. The rediscoveries are pretty much over with. You know, there might be one or two here or there, uh, but it's time to to now have the communities go build different things. And that's why I appreciate the school style for doing this. This is just like an incredible uh, contribution to the historical NFT community. Yeah, thanks for the kind words, Jake. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, I think there's so many projects that like, you know, I, I want to kind of talk about, but um you know, I think like, yeah, it's really interesting. Like, you know, I think the, you know, a few questions for you. Um, why, why the conviction on Mooncats? Uh, and, and I know Adam loves them as well. Uh, Adam, like curio cards, you know, what, why, uh, why do you love them so much? And, um, and the controversial one is like, you know, Linergy, right? Like that, that's, that was like a recent rediscovery. Um, yeah. Like what, what do you think of Linergy? Uh, compared to like ENS, for example, compared to dot bit domains. Uh, I'll go first with Mooncats, and then uh, I got about like five or ten more minutes, and then got to hop off. Uh, Mooncats to me, again, story. It also comes with nostalgia. Uh, I owned an antique store; that was my first business. So when Mooncats were rediscovered, and it, they were at the time they were called the second oldest NFTs on Ethereum. To me, that just made complete sense. And then I started looking into it and I was like, okay, they're, they predate CryptoKitties. They're pixelated. Um, and it has mostly one of the, my main conviction events was just like the, the way of the decentralized minting. It really reminded me of, of a similar thing to Bitcoin where anyway, everyone got to participate. They were free and, and they were cats, right? They're just like the mimetic value, the, the, the very crypto true nature. And crypto Twitter at the time was just 
absolutely insane. And you got pretty much every single large crypto voice from, from Kobe to Ledger, right, to Justin Trimble, to Alan. They all own Mooncats. They all participated. And that story is just not going to go away because everyone was a part of it. And it kind of is the birth of NFT archaeology, retrospectively looking at it. But I tend to personally just like when I'm in crypto, I try to make conviction bets, very large conviction bets. Sometimes it turns out well, sometimes it does not. Uh, and for this one, I just, just started aping a ton of mooncats. I got up to like, I think like 140 mooncats. I didn't mine any of them either. This is literally buying them from 0.1 ETH all the way up to 1, 1 ETH all the way back down in that range. And uh, to me, it just just looking at the community and how fast at that time that mooncats, uh, the community started building out tools. The rarity system, there was no rarity system. Mooncat Pro was built out in like two days. There was all these different tools. And uh, it kind of became the blueprint for historical NFT rediscoveries just to see how fast it all happened. And it's just looking at it, my conviction becomes even more uh, into it because of the community that surrounds it. It is the largest. And uh, and it's pretty easy to understand. We did kind of screw ourselves in the beginning with all the, the labeling. I'm saying it's the first on-chain generative, first bonding curve, this, 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 right? All on-chain mechanics, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, they're just those, some OG cats that a lot of people appreciate, make it as easy and digestible to understand. And the holder account is only continually growing. It's like getting close to, across all wallets, I think it's at like 7,500, but on the, or across all wrappers and non-wrapped. But now I think it's approaching about 6,900 holders on the acclimated wrapper or 6,900 or 5,900. Maybe it's one of those two. And uh, just, I, I think that's going to be something that ages really well. Awesome. Yeah. Like the reason why I ask is like, you know, I, uh, before you guys, you know, go, um, yeah, it's good to, to get some alpha. I'm building a short list of, uh, you know, historical NFTs on my, on my shopping list. Uh, but yeah, Adam, like why, why curio cards? And I guess, uh, yeah. And the Linergy, uh, I, I think you're pretty, pretty involved with Linergy as well, right? Yeah, well, I think Linogy, you know, certainly it's just the age of the contract, right? Um, you know, obviously, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands minted, you know, during the rediscovery. You know, most of those aren't going to have any value, right? I mean, or very, very little value other than just, you know, the collectability for the person who minted it and the, you know, that emotional attachment to that that time in their lives. But, you know, any value that really comes from Linogy is going to be about, you know, the community building that, that tool set that's going to be allow the dot OG to be used, you know, as a wallet or have some functionality, right? If, if nothing's built around that, then you're just looking at, okay, the, the age of the asset or the age of the smart contract, does that have any collectability? Um, Certainly the ones that were minted in, you know, 2015, if, if any of those ever hit the market, those would be highly collectible uh, and very valuable, but you know, the new mints on the old contract, you know, who knows uh, if, if and I know the team is, is, you know, or the community, I should say, really, because it's not a team of any sort of, you know, it's the community, you know, if they're able to get that functionality to any degree, um, similar to an ENS, uh, it would be super cool. And, and I think then you could have some real value um, for those, those NFTs. For Curio, you know, like, again, it's, it's, it's more emotional for me than anything, but 
at the end of the day, it's the rediscovery, right? So a lot of people involved in that rediscovery. So it's got that great story. Uh, the project itself being very innovative for 2017, trying to, you know, have a way for artists to get paid uh, through NFTs, you know, uh, just has a lot of has a lot of historic value, I think, uh, for being that kind of very early project to do that. Um, you know, the dispensers and that they were able to build dispensers back there, back then, uh, also innovative. So it has a lot of it ticks a lot of boxes from you know, being early and doing really innovative stuff that that's early, um, you know, but at the end of the day, it's about, you know, Robeck and Max and, you know, and Thomas and, the, you know, mad Bitcoins and, you know, just having friends who were part of that project. I mean, for me, that's why I still hold my curios and love curios, but from an investor standpoint, you know, it's got, a, it ticks a lot of boxes in the art department uh, for historical NFTs that make it kind of special. Awesome. Thanks for the alpha. I think, um, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I'm going to look into Cura cards, looking into Mooncats, uh, for sure. Um, I'm just looking at my DMS and like, you know, there's, there's a few last questions. I'll take one last question. Um, I think the, the question is, um, basically, you know, with, with like ordinals right now, right? Like, obviously we'll, we'll go back to the beginning, I guess. Um, you know, do you see, you know, projects like, uh, spells of genesis for example and all the early uh bitcoin or counterparty nfts doing you know doing very well in this space um and and then kind of like you know looking into the future you know what i guess like with emblem vault right like you know what what is the um you know what is your personal sort of you know mission and vision for 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 emblem vault uh, and ordinals Oh boy. All right. So long. <laughs> you want me to take that, Jake? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh well the vision the vision is 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 a web three where digital items can be traded everywhere seamlessly. Like that's the vision. And we're calling them NFTs right now, and NFTs are PFPs and and this and that, but uh we also know that NFTs are tickets and Starbucks reward cards and you know, just just think of it as as digital items. Um, and we are living in a digital world. You're living in it right now. Um, you may not realize it, but if you check your screen time, uh, maybe that's a wake up call for you that you're living in a digital environment right now. Uh, we're talking through a digital environment. We are living in the metaverse right now. We don't see it because it's not real enough for us. It will get more real over time as these technologies are built out. Um, NFTs are one of these foundational layers of the tech and the earliest efforts at creating the modern NFT, um, in my view, are going to be really, really valuable. That's, that's the foundation of historical NFTs with emblem vault. We are just simply building the tech out to allow for seamless trading of these NFTs everywhere. So you're not even going to feel it in the future. You're just going to be able to trade or buy, move, sell, gift, pass off move around these nfts seamlessly and that's what emblem vault's building and you know i know the quicker we build seamless infrastructure for people the more and faster we can onboard people and because of that the more valuable your historic nfts are going to be that's the pitch brother is that a good pitch 
That's an A plus Pritch. If I've ever heard one. <laughs> Let's build it, baby. Uh, are you excited for Web three? I'm excited for Web three. It's it's and coming. I'm more. I'm yeah. I mean, I pinned something to the top about the curated collections. If you guys aren't familiar with it, uh, be on the lookout for that. Rare Pepe's and Spells of Genesis, and that hopefully will uh, increase a lot of the attention there. But eventually, I mean, the goal, one of our plans, right? If we have fifty to one hundred different collections, you know, you could see the Open Sea leaderboard literally just being 10 to 15 different historical collections consistently and i could not be more excited about that let's go thanks for hosting guys i appreciate it thank you so yeah, much. thanks for hosting guys really appreciate it so thank you appreciate it uh yeah it's been a pleasure and uh yeah thanks thanks for joining and uh yeah thanks for sharing the alpha and knowledge i'm super pumped <laughs> thanks so yeah, much me, guys me too guys thank you guys i gotta i gotta get out of here so talk to uh, you later yeah, hit me up if you ever have any questions. Emblem Vault, you could shoot me or Adam message. Shannon's down there. Give him a follow. I'm happy to help. Hop in the Discord, whatever you need. We are here. Thanks, Yeah, guys. thanks so much. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Jake. See you soon. Okay, so I'm going to wrap up the space. And, uh, yeah, so for those listening, uh, there will be a POAP at the end of the space. Um, and if you're in the museum, feel free to join us uh, for a little, like, race in as a tradition uh but yeah adam and jake had to go for another show so yeah please uh yeah do do join us in the museum for if, if you're there uh to uh to do a little race but yeah uh dm the historical nft museum or xoao uh, my personal account for uh the apo app uh and yeah so uh thanks for joining uh and i'm gonna play some music to uh to kind of end the space uh next week we'll have uh more of a community space and you know feel free to uh you know join us and and kind of uh if you have any questions about historical nfts or uh any you know anything that you're working on if you're an artist for example uh feel free to hop onto the space and join us next week um and then we'll be also chatting about uh nft paris uh, and and all the good folks that are going to uh, yeah going to in real live events and and uh, looking forward to that um, but yeah like thanks for joining again and um, yeah appreciate uh, sort of the two hour uh, space and uh, thanks for attending um, yeah so without further ado I'm going to play some music uh, uh, Solo House is not here today so we're going to have uh, Kaigo who's one of our, our holders and. We'll I'll play some tunes to to uh to play us out. Thanks.